In the name of Jesus, amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took water and washed the disciples' feet. I'm sure those weren't the words you were expecting to hear, just as the disciples weren't expecting Jesus to do this. Yet the gospel text for Maundy Thursday, year after year, is the historical account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And the question is, why? Why this account? And isn't Christ's final Passover with the disciples more important than him washing their feet? Isn't the Lord's Supper, which washes the sin off of our hearts, more important than Jesus washing the dusty feet of his disciples? After all, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament in the church, and we receive it every Sunday for the forgiveness of our sins. And the washing of feet is not. At most, we might think it's a nice gesture, right? So, why this text? Why tonight? Why is Jesus using this time right after giving the Lord's Supper, his very body and blood, to all of his disciples? Why is he using this time right before he's being pierced uh, uh, for our transgressions to pour water on the feet of these 12 guys? It's not the thing you expect Jesus to do or the text you expect to hear tonight. So when the Lord's Supper had ended and when the devil already put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus, Jesus rose up, he wrapped himself in a towel, he poured water into a basin, and he started washing the disciples' feet, and he wiped the dirt off of their feet with the towel that was wrapped around him, the one he was wearing. And when he came to Peter, Peter says, Lord, you are washing my feet. And Jesus said, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. And so Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And having said that, Peter said what every single sinner was thinking. What the greatest minds of this world ever have conjured up about God. He said what every single human on earth by nature of their own sinful heart believes naturally about God. They think, if I'm to have any part with God, I am to serve him. I am to do the work. I'm to do the kneeling, the serving, the obeying. I'm to do the sacrificing, the giving, the bleeding, and the dying. In other words, Peter said what every man-made religion on earth ultimately teaches. That we are to serve God for our salvation that he doesn't serve us. So like Peter, we recoil at even the thought of such an embarrassing and humiliating scene. God is the creator. We are creatures. Jesus is holy. We're sinners. His hands have no evil attributed to them. No, none of their own. And yet he's washing the feet of those who would abandon him those who would betray him, those who would deny him, those who would run away from him. And we're sinners who are unworthy of the Lord's attention, let alone his word. You and I, yes, I, his unworthy servant, have sinned grievously 
and thought and said and done things that should ban us from his presence forever. If you're honest and you admit your sin, you too will admit that you have said and thought and done things that should deafen your ears to ever hearing his word again. You have done things that should slam the Bible shut before your face to never read it again. You have done things that would bar your mouth from ever eating this bread again. You've done things that should ban your lips from ever touching this chalice again. You've done things that should make the church collapse upon you just for walking in. You see, condemnation and eternal damnation aren't surprising. And they shouldn't surprise you either. In fact, when you take sin seriously and if you know how holy God is, then you would never be surprised or be taken back by the fact that hell exists. That it's a real place where real people go. You wouldn't think that hell is harsh or undeserved. You'd know that you, me, and all people who have ever walked this planet deserve both temporal and eternal punishment. And that this is just. This is the right thing to do. God's wrath and anger against us is completely understandable. It's completely to be expected of him. There's no surprise there. So when Peter says, you shall never wash my feet, how does Jesus respond? Does he say, yeah, you're right, Peter. You passed the test. I was testing you. I was trying to see how humble you would make yourself. You really should be washing my feet. You really should be serving me. You need to try and win my favor. In fact, that's what I'd expect him to say. But he says something else. He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. To put it another way, it's as if Jesus said, look, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you and I have nothing to do with each other. In fact, if I don't wash your feet, then we have no reason to even be in the same room together. No reason to be on the same planet in the same universe. To be mentioned in the same sentence together. What could you possibly do for me? What could you possibly give me that I didn't create? Silver? Gold? A sacrifice? I have cattle on a thousand hills. If I was ever hungry, would I ask you for food? There's nothing that I can receive. I'm God because everything is already mine. So you might know who I am, but you have no idea what I've come to do. By washing your feet, I, your God, am lowering myself to your level. Not to condemn you, but to serve you. I'm inviting you to be served. I'm doing this because the only relationship you and I can have with one another is if I am the one who does all the work, if I am the one who does all the caring, all the giving, all the carrying, all the kneeling, all the sacrificing, all the bleeding, and all of the dying. So you see what Jesus is doing here. He's not instituting a new sacrament here or a tradition here in the church. What Jesus is doing is giving a sign. He's showing who he is, who he came to be. 
He came to be the one who works for us. He came to be our servant and our slave. You see, even slaves had ranks among them. And washing the feet of others was not simply the work of a slave. It was the work of the lowest slave in the house. No one but the least and the lowest of the slaves would be asked to wash the master's feet. So this was a work that was far beneath even many slaves. So think of that. That tonight, the Almighty God who created heaven and earth, who holds the stars in place, is doing the lowliest deed. He's giving a sign that in a few hours, he's about to do something even lowlier than that. And this is completely and entirely unexpected of God to do. This is what Psalm 8 says so clearly. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you should even care? In other words, God is so great and mighty and majestic and powerful. God does amazing and glorious things. He creates the universe and everything in it. So why on earth does he even care about us? He has planets and stars and galaxies to rule and to guide. He has molecules and atoms to assemble and sustain. Why would God ever pay attention to me? Why would he listen to me? Why me? And even though all of this is true, even though God has indeed greater and more wonderful things in his hands, even though he has more majestic things to look after, what has he chosen to do? He's chosen to set his eyes on you. He's chosen to knit you together in your mother's womb, to number the hairs on your head. In his fatherly love and divine goodness, he has chosen to consider your lowliness. He has chosen to listen to your prayers, to keep track of every tear, to keep and interpret every groan. He has chosen to listen to your prayers, to put bread in the stomachs of the multitudes, to take away the sickness of those who suffer, to wash the dirt off of the feet of sinners. This is what Jesus does tonight. He shows you what it means to have him as your God. He shows you what it means to belong to him, what it means to be his own. He shows you what it means to be his creature and what it means to be a Christian. He shows you what it means to come to church and what it means to receive the Lord's Supper. He shows you that going to church and the entire Christian life isn't a life of you trying to please an angry God by your works and by your life and by your conduct, sacrificing yourself for him. No, the Christian life is one of God serving you, the sinner. God giving himself to you. Going to church is not a way for you to give something to Him. It's to receive the things He has won for you. To come and take the things He gives you. To come to the place where He serves you like a slave. So in church, none of this is your work. None of what you receive is earned. None of this is your doing. Not the lessons, not the baptisms, not the communions, 
nor the weddings, nor the, the funerals and burials. It's God's word. It's God's doing. It's God's service. He speaks here. He washes you here. He feeds you here. He blesses you. He forgives you here. He carries you home when you give up your final breath and gives you eternal life. And it's through this sign of washing our filthy feet that Jesus shows us who he really is. He's the one who does the work that is far beneath him, the work of the lowest slave. He's the one who suffers alone in shame and humility for you, the one who dies a criminal's death, the one who sweats drops of blood for you. He's the one who uses his body to serve you, his body to be pierced for you, his blood to be poured out from his holy veins for you. He's the one who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. No religion made by man has such a God. No man has even dared to conceive of a God who does what God does. No religion even speaks of their false gods as ones who would serve or give or wash or bleed or forgive and weep and die. And this is what you and I will never understand, what you and I can never expect, what you and I cannot possibly fathom, why God, the holy, holy, holy God, would want me, would pay attention to me, would offer me the blood from his broken heart, would forgive me all of my sins, the sins I continue to commit, the sins that I continue to fall into, the sins that plague me each day. Who can understand this? This is a, why would God love me, a worm? This is a mystery above all mysteries. This is a love that from Christ surpasses your knowledge. It's too big for your mind and your brain. And it always will be. It's a love that doesn't stand idly by. It's a love that deigns himself to dwell with you. A love that bears all things in order to save you. He's not simply a God who stands far away from this wretched earth. No, for he, for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and suffered and bled and died and rose again for you. Jesus isn't simply a God who stained his own feet with the filth of this guilty earth. But he is the creator who chose to kneel down before his own sinful creatures and to wash the dirt off the soles of their feet. There in that upper room on that first Bondi Thursday, God, without whose attention the universe would collapse and turn to dust, gets on his hands and his knees, and he gives attention to clean the heels and the soles and the toes of sinful mortals. Your God, your Lord, your Christ, your King comes to you and chooses to be a servant here again tonight. He's chosen to be more gracious than you have been sinful. 
He's chosen to love you with an eternal and undeserved love. A love without beginning from before the foundation of the world. A love without end that will bring you to his heaven. This is your God, the God who readily does what you would never expect him to do. Who gives you the things you're too ashamed and embarrassed to even think or ask for. The same God who insisted on bending down to wash the filth from the disciples' feet. The same God who now insists on wiping the filth from your sinful heart. To wipe it away forever. When you receive this Holy Supper here tonight, open your eyes, open your eyes in faith and see that God is bending himself down to serve you like a servant, like a lowly slave, once more. As you kneel down before your God here tonight, see that he has kneeled himself even lower than you. As you bow your head before this altar tonight, remember that this same God bowed his head in death because he loves you. Because he absolutely adores you. Because there's nothing he desires more than to make you his own. Because there's nothing that gives him more joy than to take away and forgive all of the sins that separate you from him. So let Christ serve you here once again. Let him wash the sin off of your flesh and your soul with the blood in his. Let him take the, 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 the stain of guilt away from your conscience. Let him serve you and take away your sin, your guilt, your misery, your sadness, your tears, your sorrow, your death, your hell, and your condemnation. Let him serve you here tonight and give you communion with the God who has loved you forever. Amen. My Savior, wash me clean with thy most precious blood that takes away all sin and seals my peace with God. My soul in peace abideth when in thy wounds it hideth. There I find full salvation and freedom from damnation. Without thee lost, defiled by sin, my Savior, wash me clean. O Holy Trinity, to whom I all things owe, thine image graciously within my heart bestow. Choose me, the weak and lowly, to be thy temple holy, where praise shall rise unending for grace so condescending. O heavenly bliss, thine own to be, O holy trinity. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.